Okay, today I will be reading from Matthew 26, 1 through 13. And it says, When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he told his disciples, You know that the Passover takes place after two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the courtyard of the highest priest, who was named Caiaphas, and they conspired to arrest Jesus in a treacherous way and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, so there won't be rioting among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman approached him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. She poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw it, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This might have been sold for a great deal and given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. By pouring this perfume on my body, she has prepared me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out thirty pieces of silver for him. And from the time he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. On the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Go to the city to a certain man, he said, and tell him, The teacher says, My time is near. I'm celebrating the Passover at your place with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. He replied, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The son of man who will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take it and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. But I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine, and from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. After singing a hymn, they went out to the mountain, the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, Tonight all of you will fall, fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, Tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he told the disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. 
Going a little farther, he, faced, he fell face down and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, So couldn't you stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again a second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. After leaving him, them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and the elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one. Arrest him. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, Why have you come? Then they came up and took hold of Jesus and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ears. Ear. Then Jesus told him, Put your sword back in its place, because all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my Father, and he will provide me here and here and now with more than twelve legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with criminals and clubs? If, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I used to sit teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me. But all this has happened so that the writings of the people will be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. Those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and, el and the elders had convened. Peter was following him at a distance, right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two who came forward stated, This man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him. But I tell you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He is blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? See, now you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spat in his face and beat him. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who was it that hit you? Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant, a girl, approached him and said, You were with Jesus, the Galilean, too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, This man was with Jesus the Nazarene. And again he denied it with an oath, I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there approached him and said to Peter, 
you really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away. <clears throat> then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. talking a little bit today about Mary Magdalene, but just in case you don't know me, I'm KJ Dumbacher, and I have the distinct privilege of being the daughter of Bill and Stacy Dumbacher. Their pictures are up on the slide. If, <laughs> if you don't know them, you want to put a face to the name. I'm also a high school sophomore. Um, something that's scary about being a high schooler is having to think about my future. Um, the what do you want to be when you grow up question is a really scary question. I'm not 100% sure what I want to do, and I really don't want to mess things up. However, as I studied Matthew 26 this week, I learned something. My future, my most valuable thing, doesn't really belong to me. This leads me to the first point that I gleaned from the scripture I'll be talking about today, which is... The best and most valuable things are to be poured on the head of Jesus. Um, so if you could turn with me to Matthew 26, 6. I'm just going to reread it so we can get it in our heads. So, while Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste? They asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. So, this woman, who in John 12, we learn is Mary of Magdalene, took a very expensive perfume and poured it on Jesus. This was a huge deal in Jesus' time, and I'm just going to explain why. In that time, women would carry alabaster flasks full of perfume that could be broken off at the neck if the contents were needed. It could only be opened once, and it could only be used once. This flask, they would hang around their neck on a string. It was seen as a part of these women, so much that they were allowed to wear on Sabbath. This perfume was part of Mary. It was part of her identity. Mary took this valuable, one-time use part of her perfume and poured it over the head of Jesus. And I want to challenge you. Next slide, please. What are you going to pour on his head this week? What thing that you hold close to you, that you hang on a string around your neck, do you need to pour on the head of Jesus? Um, I'm going to give you a couple seconds to think about this. Maybe write it down. This act that Mary did was not clean or put together. This was a reckless act of love and service for Jesus. In fact, Mary took her hair and wiped it on Jesus' feet. 
This is a big deal because in those days, a hair was a, was a woman's glory. It was the thing that made her outwardly beautiful. Jesus sees this act of laying down her glory as a beautiful thing. Time and time again. Oh, can we go to the next slide, actually? Time and time again, we see people in the Bible do messy and humbling acts of service. If we want to do something for Jesus, the meticulously planned missions trips and the raising of fun, of fun events and raising money for the church are all good things, but maybe we need to lower ourselves a little bit. Maybe living for Jesus means getting our hair a little messy. Maybe it means talking to the weird person at school or at work and forgetting what it does to our image. Maybe it means tipping a little more, even though we won't be able to get our Starbucks tomorrow morning. Maybe living for Jesus means getting our hair messy because that, that's a beautiful thing. God can do big things through our unplanned, beautiful acts of love for him. I'm gonna reread a verse from this chapter. Verse 12, if you want to read along or write it down in your notebook. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Mary's beautiful and reckless act of love for Jesus was used in a big way. She probably didn't know how important of an impact she had when she poured out her perfume onto Jesus. God can use the acts that we do in the same way. This week, maybe we work on showing love to Jesus and getting our hair a little dirty. And we can trust that God has a plan for these big and the little acts of service that we do to show love to the Savior. God bless. I hope you guys have a great week. I'm going to be speaking a little bit about Judas. Thank you, KJ, for sharing so passionately about Mary. She did a great job, didn't she? Yes. Awesome. Really excited for what is going, God is doing in our youth. Judas. Judas is one of the 12. He is as much part of the story like the rest of the 12. But there's one thing that seems to happen to Judas. Judas seems to be at a place where he loses his confidence in Jesus. He lost his confidence because he's disillusioned. He lost his confidence because he is scared. And why is he disillusioned? Could it be that Jesus did not meet his expectations? Could it be that Jesus did not meet what Judas thought that the Messiah would be? Are there times in our lives where we feel that Jesus does not meet our expectations? Are there times where we pray for something, expecting something in our own way, and God says, no, not that way? Or God says, not now, when we want it now, and we feel a loss of confidence, and we get disillusioned like Judas. Judas maybe wanted some piece of the kingdom on earth here. But Jesus had a different story. And then Judas goes on and maybe he thinks, I'll cut off my losses and sell him for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver is a very low price. It is a price that was used to buy a beast 
If you look at Deuteronomy, you'll find that it's a price that was used to buy an animal. It was a price that was used to buy a slave. And he sells the savior of the world, the creator of the world, for a cheap price. How many times do we sell what we have inside for a cheap thrill that could last only a few minutes? I'm going to leave it there. Secondly, what do we see? We see here that there's an issue with the attitude and the heart. Judah's issue here was that Satan had entered his heart. His heart was not in the right place. When our hearts are not in the right place, then when we are disillusioned, it's an easy door for the enemy to come in. Judas, again, Jesus sees Judas and has love. I can imagine his, his face as he speaks to Judas that it is you. Jesus gives Judas an opportunity to repent. He has this last opportunity when they were sitting at the table. And he asks, like everybody else, is it I, Rabbi? The other disciples are asking this with a different thing in mind. They are asking this question because they are introspecting themselves. They are asking because they are looking into their hearts to see, is it really me? Surely it's not me, Lord. And there is, there is a fear, there is a, um, a worry that it could, could it be me? They are not looking to point that, could it be Peter? Could it be Judas? Nobody pointed at anyone. Everybody pointed in themselves. But then what do we see with Judas? Judas uses that same phrase when he knew that he had already gotten the money. He uses the same phrase and says, is it I, master? He is using it as a cover. And I want to encourage us and ask us a question and maybe remind you that it is possible for us or for a hypocrite to go through the world undiscovered and unsuspected. And I want us to look at our hearts and ask, just like you have fake money and real money, fake money can go through sometimes as real money when it's not. And Judas here uses the question to cover as fake that, is it me to cover his own guilt? His conscience was already condemning him. But then let's move on. I'm going to come back to put all this together. Let's move on. Then he goes again and he comes with these people and they get to a place where they kiss, where he kisses Jesus. A kiss is a token of friendship. A kiss is a token of alliance. But Judas takes all that and meshes it up for his own purpose. He takes what God created for goodness, for alliance, for friendship, and meshes up. Even though when he's doing that, Jesus still calls him friend. He doesn't call him, you scandal. He doesn't call him, you betrayer. He calls him friend. That's the heart of Jesus. Even at the kiss of betrayal, Jesus sees Judas and calls him friend. At the heart of your betrayal, Jesus sees you and calls you friend. At the heart of my betrayal, Jesus sees me and calls me friend. And he genuinely means it. Let's move on.
Hello, I am Parker Allen, and I'm the son of Lizzie and Paul Allen, and I am a junior, and I go to the entourage here. Peter's life fell apart, but there is still hope for Peter. For three years, Peter had been following Jesus. Now, he wasn't always saying the right things. Some scholars say that Peter loved vegetables as much as he loved to keep his foot in his mouth. <laughs> but Jesus made it clear that he was the leader of the disciples. The P Peter would open the doors of the church. Simon was given the name Peter, which meant a rock. So he was hard to penetrate. He was the man. Peter was the man. But then in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is talking to the disciples after the Passover meal in anticipation of the cross. Chapter 31. Simon, Simon, when the Lord says your name twice, it's probably going to be pretty deep. <laughs> Simon, Simon, Satan has asked, asked permission to sift you like wheat. Translation, Satan wants to mess you up. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So we see at the end of this reading, like Peter, Satan wants to mess you up. Peter couldn't see how he could disown Christ. And we, we, we might not see how Satan wants to mess us up, but, but he's going to come after you. And then, then Peter replies to Jesus, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you would deny me three times that you know me. Matthew 26, 58. Then later that day, Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyards of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Notice that Peter is already following at a distance. Verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, but he denied it before them all. I do not know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, This fellow was with Nazareth it was Jesus with Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Notice now he's under oath. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are, the, you are with, the, with Jesus, the Messiah, for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore to, on himself, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. We see that the more times that Peter disowned Jesus, the further he got away. Peter started walking away from Jesus. When he did this, he forgot his calling. He forgot who he was, who God had called him to be, the rock, the one that would open the doors of the church. The more steps you take away from God, the farther you will be away from God and who he's calling you to be. What Satan thought he was using for evil in this passage, he used for good, and he would do the same for you. Stay close to Jesus so you can always remember who he's calling you to be. He calls you to be a son, a daughter of Jesus. 
he loves very much. So keep your eyes on Jesus. All right. Thank you. I'm going to put in together in these 10 minutes that I have the sermons that our youth put in together. And so um, I'm going to start with Judas and Mary. And I'm going to do a little scripture reading here, and I want you to walk with me. I might be a little bit fast because I've got only 10 minutes. All right. And it starts now. (laughs) Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to follow after me, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whosoever desires to serve his life would lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake, they will find it. That's in Matthew 16, 24 to 25. Jesus is speaking here and he tells them that if you want to save your life, lose it for me. Mary had this thing that was precious, that was hanging on her neck for dear life. And to save it, she lost it in front of Jesus. And I want to ask you, are you at a place where you have picked up your cross and you are ready to lose, even to lose the most precious thing for the sake of Jesus? Then Jesus goes on in Luke chapter 9, he's talking about the same thing. He says there to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let them deny themselves. Luke chapter 9, 22 to 25. He says, let them deny themselves and take up their cross. This time he says their cross daily and follow me. Daily. It is a daily thing as a believer to lay the best that we have down for the sake of Jesus. Because there is a best that he has for us that we cannot attain by ourselves. What we have attained, all the crowns that we have worn, all the glories that we've had from people, it is time to lay them down for Jesus on a daily basis. Then he goes on, he says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, to gain all the crowns and forfeit his soul? Mary chose the right thing. Mary chose to break the most precious thing that she had and anoint Jesus with it. In Luke chapter 9, again, 57 to 56, when he speaks about the cost of discipleship, he says that now it happened that on their journey on the road, somebody came to him and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has nowhere to lay down his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. This is important to him. This is his life. Let me. And then Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. And to another, he he said, Lord, I will follow you. You let me first go and bid farewell to my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put their hand on the plow, And looking back is fit for the kingdom. Mary did not hold on to what was precious. I mean, KJ said part of it, it could have also been her identity, this perfume that she was holding. It was a year's worth. It was expensive. It was all she had that was precious. And Mary decided that I'm not going to hold on to this, but I'm going to lay it down for the master. 
I'm not going to put my hand on the plow and look back to what else can the world offer me. And today I want to encourage you, as you think about this, as you think about Mary, you cannot serve two masters. Matthew 6.24, Jesus tells us you cannot serve two masters or either you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Is it your education? Is it your money? Is it your life? Is it your children? Is it your country? What is it that you're holding dear to that you cannot lay at the feet of Jesus? And that's very important for us to think about. And we see that as we come to Judas. Judas had the situation, he had the love of money was suicide for him. It was the death of his ministry, not only his ministry, but the death of his actual earthly life. Whom will you save today? Who will you serve today? Is it Jesus or is it this thing that you're holding to? Paul speaks in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. He speaks about that godliness has great, has great gain for us. But then he goes on at the bottom of that and says, some of, them, some of the people have strayed away from the faith because of their greediness and have pierced themselves with so many sorrows because they hold on to money or earthly things. Today, Broadway, what is it that you're holding on to? What is it that you're tying around your neck? Something that somebody ties around their neck is so special that they, you would kill them before you get it. What is it that you're holding on to? And then Judas and Peter. When you look at Judas and Peter here, you see those two brothers who had been together, who had been brothers and walked together with Jesus for three years. I want you to think about the source of betrayal here. The source of betrayal here is different. Both of them betrayed Jesus. But the source is totally different. Judas betrayed Jesus because he was disillusioned. Because he was angry, because his heart had been twisted, he had let anger, he had nursed a grudge. In Matthew, it looks like the grudge had started a long time ago, but the final straw was when they were at that house where, the, where Mary poured out that oil. Because then he says, soon after that, he went and betrayed Jesus. They did not seek him. They did not, sometimes we think that the, the, the elders went and looked after the disciples and said, who, who amongst them can, can, can sell him to us? No, Judas went to them. He approached them because his heart was already with a cancer in it. He did not allow himself to walk in the light and have that cancer in the heart to be looked at by Jesus and healed. And I want to ask you today, as you go, that what is in your heart? But Peter, on the other hand, his betrayal was out of fear. We saw Peter battling here in the skit that the youth did. They did a great job. We saw Peter battling with these voices of different situations. But he was afraid. He was afraid. And sometimes we, we do face fear. But when our heart is in the right place, God can even heal us through in that fear throughout to get on the other side. But when our heart is already contaminated, it's hard because we have hardened our hearts. And in this, in this place here, Peter had a situation where he was afraid, but his heart was in the right place. He messed up big time. We have messed up big time. But as we mess up big time, we know that we have a savior who cares for us.
who loves us despite our, despite our messing up. We know that there is a savior that we can trust on. Jesus knew these two disciples. He knew the motives of their hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is wicked above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus knows the heart. And again, we go to Proverbs 4, 23. It says, keep guard your heart with all diligence and above all guard your heart for out of it flows the springs of life. How are you keeping your heart today? Are you letting some bitterness simmer up because of something that you're disillusioned about? Or are you taking your disillusionment and all that and putting it in the hands of God as the one that you can trust to sort out the situation for you? These are two different attitudes. We can be disillusioned. And we, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those people that prays. If somebody comes here and says they are sick, I don't pray. Most of my prayers are, Lord, heal them because that's what I believe God would do. And I'm excited and I'm asking for that just like my son would ask for anything. But if God does not choose to heal them here, I might be disillusioned. But then I know that he has a better plan. And I trust that his plan is better than the healing that I was expecting. And so at the end of the day, it is the heart where the heart is. And I want to ask you, is your heart in the right place? Or is your heart in, is set on what you want? It's very easy for our hearts to be like Judah's heart that was set on what he wanted than what the master wanted. And then Judas goes on and he's, he says he is sorry. But his sorriness is not godly sorrow. There is difference between just being sorry and godly sorrow. The Bible tells us that godly sorrow produces fruit and leads us to repentance and leading to salvation. Peter blew it big time. But after he blew it big time, he, but God knew his heart and his heart was in the right place. Here's a call and challenge for us as I close. First John 1, 5 through 7. It says, this is the message which you've heard from him and I declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Christ Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Can we put our heart in the light? Broadway, can we put our hearts in the light? When our hearts in the light, we walk in a way that is clear. When our hearts are in the light, things can be seen and things can be dealt with. When our heart is in the darkness, we walk and stumble in the dark just like Judas. When it is dark, infections, they start to fester. Cockroaches and rodents, they grow and they bring forth fruit in the darkness. But when there is light, it, they all scatter. And I want to ask you, Broadway, is Jesus the light of your heart today? 
in what you hold dear in your life? Is Jesus the, the light of your heart today in the way you walk, you talk to people, in the way you do whatever you do? Is Jesus the light of your heart? Guard your heart with all gentleness, with all diligence, for out of it streams all the things that pertain to life.